ladies and gentlemen of America and the AJC family, to all our listeners across the USA, the month of December will prove to be one of reflection. As AJC Radio looks back on a year in review, we will be playing our top eight programs for the month of December. As the holidays approach and the vision for tomorrow begins to set in place, AJC Radio will get you ready. Join us in the month of December listening to our best archive shows, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, different members of Congress that have appeared. You don't want to miss it. Happy Holidays from AJC Radio. You know, four days into his sudden presidency. And the night before, he would address a joint session of the Congress in which he once served. Lyndon Johnson sat around a table with his closest advisors, preparing his remarks to a shattered and grieving nation. He wanted to call on senators and representatives to pass a civil rights bill. The most sweeping since Reconstruction. Most of his staff counseled him against it. They said it was hopeless, that it would anger powerful Southern Democrats and committee chairmen, that it risked derailing the rest of his domestic agenda. And one particularly bold aide said, he did not believe a president should spend his time and power on lost causes, however worthy they might be. To which it is said, President Johnson replied, well, what the hell's the presidency for? the hell's the presidency for? If not to fight for causes you believe in. Today as we commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act, we honor the men and women who made it possible. Some of them are here today. We celebrate giants like John Lewis and Andrew Young and Julian Bond. We recall the countless unheralded Americans, black and white, students and scholars, preachers, and housekeepers, whose names are etched not on monuments, but in the hearts of their loved ones and in the fabric of the country that they helped to change. But we also gather here deep in the heart of the state that shaped him, to recall one giant man's remarkable efforts to make real the promise of our family. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I still have a dream. Yes. 
It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I say to you today, my friend, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. AJC Radio, where we are in search for justice, but we bring the message of justice all around the world. Hang on to your seats, ladies and gentlemen, as we visit a very serious issue tonight, and it's civil rights. And tonight we will dig into conversation in regards to civil rights, the importance of those rights being protected, the lives that were lost at the hand of this war. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your seats. Civil rights is next. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, and uh, we welcome America tonight in our studio here at AJC Radio, uh, where the temperature is about 80 degrees, a little overcast here in the state of Colorado, the Rocky Mountains. And I understand the humidity is out of control on the East Coast in our nation's capital and in New York City as we speak. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, we thank you for uh, joining us. I'm Lamont Banks along with Sam Thurman, Lisa Stewart, and Cliff Stewart. And uh, folks, we got a humdinger tonight dealing with one of the most important issues of our time, and that is civil rights uh, for every person, regardless of race, and, and color and religion and all of these things that, uh, that tie those things. Tonight we dig into that conversation about civil rights. And, uh, Cliff, as we get ready to dig into this, and Sam, I'll tell you right now, this is something very serious. And uh, we got some folks coming on tonight, and one of the ladies that you'll be hearing from tonight made this statement, Lisa, uh, during our interview with her. She said very clearly, that she sees things in doing the civil rights movement in her research and what she does, she sees those things happening now. Yes, yeah, still happening today. That is alarming and very, very troubling uh, for anybody uh, to have to, to say that is unbelievable. As you know, the Civil Rights um, Act, uh, we'll be getting into that, uh, getting into that rather, uh, was signed into law on July 2nd, 1964. 
uh, at our nation's capital, the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue. And Sam, as we begin to go down this journey, uh, I, t- I warn our listeners tonight, it's a journey and it'll have some bumps and, and bruises along the way of this journey we take tonight. Sam, the importance of civil rights and educating our listeners on the importance of those rights being protected. And we're finding that those rights were violated in very horrific fashion uh, in regards to the IRP-6 case. Six men wrongfully convicted. Sam, who are those six men? Those six men are David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. And like you said, three years they've been uh, incarcerated now, wrongfully convicted, after three years, and three that, years. that is yeah. way too long. And when you look at the list of things that happened in this case, you know, uh, everyone that looks at it, uh, whether they are a law professor, a practicing attorney, uh, anyone that's a practitioner in the in the area of legal uh, matters, they, they look at this and they say, you know, this should have never happened. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Lisa, you went through some of this, and you've been on the journey for that duration. And uh, I'll tell you what. You know, you have to check your calendar to see if it's night, if it's 2015, because if I'm not mistaken, it appears to be back in the 1960s as we see racism and cruelty on a level we've never seen. Lisa, your thoughts on that? I think it's a very sad day for our country. I think it's a sad time for our country when you look back and you realize that nothing has changed. Things are just as bad as they were before. I mean, th- things are hidden and things aren't out in the open as much because uh, they don't, I mean, people's racism is kind of, you know, it's kind of kept under the covers and nobody really likes to talk about it. Nobody likes to talk about the way they feel and the, w- the differences that there are. But it's every, nothing, we haven't made these great strides like everybody wants to say that this country has changed so much and that's not around anymore. It is still going on to this day. It's still around. It's still, we're still dealing with the same issues the same problem, the same bigotry, the same, the same, the same crap we've been dealing with for all these years. Uh, without question, and uh, as you think about that tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I recommend. I don't care if you're down south in New York City, in Colorado, in Arkansas, in Alabama, go grab your neighbor who may be of different culture, and tell them to tune in to this program tonight because I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a human being on this planet that does not matter. And we need to get together and say, wait a minute. There was a reason that President Johnson signed that into law. There's a reason that happened, and it was because of the disgrace, as you heard President Obama talking about the, the horrific things that have happened in the violation of rights. Uh, it's high time, ladies and gentlemen of America, that we stand up and we begin to address the civil rights violations of people in this country Going to be joining us tonight, uh, we have Paula Johnson from Syracuse, New York. Uh, she's a professor, excuse me, she's a professor of law at Syracuse University College of Law. Uh, a great lady, Lisa, great interview with her. Oh, absolutely. Uh, doing some wonderful things. She'll be coming on the second segment of the show. And joining us here at 630, going to be joining us uh, is Andrew C. Loffer. He's a civil rights attorney out of New York City. And, folks, I'm telling you, you better buckle up and uh, put some extra uh, Seatbelts on your seat because we're getting ready to take you off here at AJC Radio, and uh, we're going to Lisa have you read the disclaimer for the people tonight. Okay, we want to just go ahead and remind everyone that we are not attorneys, and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your own personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause. 
And as always, we want to thank you for spending some time with us this evening and tuning in for just a little while tonight. Okay, Lisa, thanks for that. Um, we appreciate that. Uh, and folks, uh, Sam, uh, a quip I didn't hear from you tonight uh, uh, about the civil rights here on what, we, what we're talking about in regards to this program. We're talking about the civil rights and, and the rights of, of people. We were, we were referencing the IRP-6. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's no greater violation of civil rights than when you're dealing with a man's liberty. And it means that the Constitution of the United States is in high question right now, uh, Cliff. We are in a major issue. Whether you go to the Eric Gardner, whether you go to Michael Brown, whether you go to Walter Scott, we're talking about clear and blatant violations of law. And this is 2015. Did something happen with the calendar, or did the man from Back to the Future send us back? And we're just not aware of it right now. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same same thing is happening that was happening 50 years ago. And when, when you look at the basis of civil rights, it was to give everyone uh, the right to go to you know the same places to eat, same restaurants, restrooms, uh, and the right to vote. What we look at with the violations of civil rights today is that you see minorities are still being killed as a violation of their civil rights. And then you, and, and most of the time, uh, and what we're seeing in today's news, it's by law enforcement. And then they want to make the claim that I was doing my job, I felt threatened for my life. The same, uh, you know, the same lie, the same excuse that they've been using. 50 years i was i was afraid of him because he was you know a big black whatever sure and so uh but now we're seeing it uh because not not that it's not that it's slowed down or increased it's just been continuing uh since the since the civil rights era now we just have cell phones we have uh social media where things are instantly uh exposed and you know, you you watch a person's life get taken, and then you knowing in the aftermath that the excuse is going to be, I felt threatened for my life as a as a, a law enforcement official, therefore I use deadly force, and most of the time they get off. Now they're pretty much indicting everybody as soon as they kill, uh, you know, a, a black man or a Hispanic, any any minority. As soon as they kill them, now they're indicting them. But we need to see somebody go to prison. For these murders that are taking place as a result of a violation of their civil rights. Well, I'll tell you, folks, tonight's going to be a humdinger uh, in regards to that. So I think we're going to be able to definitely uh, uh, get involved with the with the guests. We're very honored to have those folks tonight. And Karen uh, Bryson, I didn't mean to leave her out, uh, also joining us, Lisa, on that interview. Yeah. Um, a, a third-year law student at Syracuse, Syracuse uh, University. Uh, very passionate. You, you folks are going to love that. And uh, Lisa and Sam Cliff, I think it's high time uh, that this discussion be discussed. But folks, hang on to your seats. We're getting to the dessert before we get. uh, We don't want to get to the main course and serve dessert first. Uh, So let's back up the strawberry shortcake, and uh, we'll wait on that here momentarily. But what we will do right now is get into a current event, Sam, uh, that actually involves me uh, in regards to the El Paso County District Attorney's Office. then uh, wanting to file a motion to dismiss uh, my uh, filing for relief for my wrongful conviction uh, during seven years in the state penitentiary for prosecutional misconduct by the hands and by the actions of a Miss Donna Billick, uh, who is a uh, chief uh, district attorney. Uh, 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 she's high in level, if you will, 
uh, who did, uh, from what the, for the, what the Colorado Appellate Court stated, uh, crossed the line of law in my case, in my wrongful conviction, over 25 times. Wow. Uh, and then the appellate court comes back and says on the last leg that they were standing on, they come back and make the statement that uh, the last misdemeanor charge had no merit, and they threw that out. Every charge brought by the Colorado Springs El Paso County District Attorney's Office, headed by Mr. District Attorney Dan May, uh, came to his office from the appellate court, Sam, stating none of the charges stuck. So now we go and ask for relief for the actions of your prosecutor who broke the law, not once, not twice, 25 times. Wow. And, and you know, as I read the uh, order here, uh, Lamont, it, it says that uh, there was no legal, uh, or there, that the legal uh, insufficiency of the evidence, uh, or that there was a legal insufficiency of, ev- of evidence to even substantiate a conviction. That's why it was vacated. That's why it was overturned. Well, and, and, and what's the, uh, the information, Sam, that they did forward, and we have that information, the petition by the district attorney's office challenging the, um, challenging the, uh, the uh, petition for relief uh, to hold some folks liable for what they have done. So um, we're going we're gonna to dig into that. And Lisa, as we look at this, I mean, when the appellate court, says no wrongdoing not only did they say that and here's the critical question lisa they made the statement uh that i was that it was remanded back to the lower court for a new trial yep Yep. so it just wasn't the word of the appellate court i was retried for that charge yep and was found not guilty right yeah and they've got they got some crap in here talking about um a court cannot reach a finding of actual innocent innocence because a petitioner's next page convictions were reversed due to a legal error unrelated to the petitioner's actual innocence. Wow! They came back and proved you innocent. So yeah, if how, a jury says you're if the jury says you're innocent, then you're innocent. So the issue that they want the cake and they want to eat it too. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't work that way uh, in the in the law. Uh, it's not supposed to work that way. Uh, so basically, it's a wash. Well, he got the case overturned, so let's we're both even. Well, you're yeah, even right. when you spend seven years in the state penitentiary eating food not fit for dogs. Well, looking at this petition, it it just it borderlines on insanity because they they make statements that are contradictory to each other. L- listen to this. In, in it makes absolutely no sense. Statement six: Because petitioner, which is you, petitioner's conviction was vacated due to the legal insufficiency of the evidence. And then they come back and say, and not because he was actually innocent. What is legal insufficiency <laughs> of evidence? That means you do not have evidence to convict to me. Support there me. is no evidence to, 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 prove you guilty. to prove my guilt. No evidence to support the charge that you have against me. But we're not saying that you're innocent because we don't have any evidence. So then what does innocence mean? Then they go on uh, in numbered line and say, A court cannot reach a finding of actual innocence merely because the court finds the evidence legally insufficient to support the convictions. Well, if the evidence is insufficient to support the conviction, that means I'm innocent. What is – research team, give me the definition of innocent, please, before I lose my mind, because this (laughs) – 
what is well, their definition of well, innocent if if the the evidence says you're not guilty? Well, we got a caller on the line, and uh, Cliff, let's bring him on in. You got the truth on there. Uh, okay, well. Um, no, go ahead. There she is. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm I'm trying to understand why the woman who prosecuted you, and this is my son, and this is his mother, who prosecuted you and had uh, prosecutorial misconduct 25 times, why she got her raggedy butt in prison? Why is she walking around after she put my son in prison for seven to eight years or to life? And when she asked the asked the uh, the person if what she had testified was true, she said, "No, it's not true." Then she tells her. That's not what I want to hear you say. Well, what did you want her to do? Tell a lie that would put my son in prison for seven years and cause his back to be destroyed? And, and he could have died from eating that rotten food that you fed him in prison. He could have died. He was not a diabetic when he went in. He was while he was in the prison. They never treated him for it. Nothing was done about it. Then he gets out of prison and come home, and he still doesn't know he's a diabetic. He just knows he faints and passes out. And then one of the family members goes to his place and finds him on the floor in a diabetic coma. And you can sleep at night. My prayer will be that you don't sleep at night, because how many more people have you put in prison? Uh, and, and 25 uh, uh, things that you've done wrong in breaking the law. You you know what? Y'all don't even know what a law is. This is unbelievable. And then when he's gone through all of this, for the rest of his life, he's a diabetic. For the rest of his life, he's sick. The chiropractor said he's never seen a back in that condition in his life. All these things happen to him because you told lies 25 times. But you're walking around free. And, Mr. May, I, if, I believe, if I remember when you was at our last talk, you gave this woman all kind of high accolades. And I didn't know who she was until my son said, that's the woman who put me in prison. What is she at? Why ain't she in prison? Why ain't she sleeping on a bed that's destroying her back? What's the consequences for doing this to innocent people? That's what I want to know, Mr. May. You came to our Let's Talk and you just talk more talk about all these good things that y'all do. Tell us about this one. Tell us about this one. This thing makes me sick to my stomach. This is the third child that have been have been done wrong by this so-called justice system. Am I upset as a mother? I am very upset. And I cannot believe 
that you could stand in our church and walk across the front and smiling at everybody and coming across as this nice guy. And then you sign off on, you don't deserve any compensation. Mr. Mays, who are you really? It's not the one I saw at our church sitting on our platform. Who are you? That you could sign off on this. I, I sat there and took the time to tell you that I had three children wrongly convicted, sitting in prison, who did never broke the law. I want to know, how do you feel, Mr. May? It really bothers me. Then you ask me to come down and speak to your attorneys, and when I tell the story, you turn three shades of red. Why can't the story be told if it's the truth? I had no reason to lie. But you got a prosecutor down there. What's that woman's name? Donna Billick. Donna Billick. Yes. Now I heard you call her name and just talk about what a great person she was. She's not a great person putting innocent people in prison and want a, and want a person to lie on that person. And then my son has, has to finally, finally gets a new trial by the grace of God. And he comes out acquitted that he did not do it. The jury believed it. The judge believed it. And then you're going to sign off on it? And all y'all talk about in this town and in this system is about conspiracy. The conspiracy is coming from the people who claim they're supposed to be a part of the law. They're supposed to be the people who represent what the law says. This is amazing to me. And deep down inside, I thought for a while there, when I looked at you, talk to the people and tell them about all the good things and all this stuff, and I smiled and looked at you, and I thought, well, maybe there is a decent prosecutor. Maybe there is. Because what they've done to my family, I'm starting to wonder where they are. And, and, I, and don't take nothing from the fact that that uh, there's got to be some good ones. We just ain't found any yet. But I can't believe that you would sign off on this after I had a talk with you about what they did to my son till you found out it was your lady friend or whoever she is uh, who works in your office and found out she was the prosecutor who did this to my son. Now, why don't you prosecute her? for telling 25 lies on my son uh, uh, so she could rightfully put him in prison. Unjustly. This thing makes me sick. I cannot believe it. I told you when you asked me to come to your office and speak to the attorneys, I said, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, Mr. May. I said, you know why? I have three children that the system miserably failed and who spent time in prison, and I brought my kids up right. I was a good parent that was brought up in church. They never broke the law. And I said, I don't know if I'd be the one. And you said you can say anything you want to say, Pastor Rose, when you come. And when I said what I wanted to say, you turned three shades of red. This thing is ridiculous. 
And when I look at it, I feel sick to my stomach. Because I thought, well, just maybe. I've seen a prosecutor that really do believe that if you're not guilty, don't put them in prison. I thought that. Well, tonight, I find out that is not true. And I can't tell you how disappointed and how bad I feel in my gut that you would stand in our church and try to make the public believe that your office is all of this. I, I wonder how many more stories like this and worse that some of the prosecutors in your office under your under your care, I wonder how many more is there out there. I am saddened by this. I cannot believe it. I would have thought that Mr. May would have said, no, just let that go. Give him compensation. But it was a woman in your office. Who caused him to have to suffer the way he suffered? Sometimes he's in so much pain, he's up all night long crawling on the floor. If, he, if he'd have been guilty of something, it still was a bad situation. But the fact that he wasn't guilty of nothing and he's suffering like that is uncomprehensible. Where is your compassion, Mr. May? Where is your compassion? Where is your feeling for the human race? Where's your compassion? Where, what do you feel for people who've been wrongly convicted? You know one thing y'all don't do? You never acknowledge that you did wrong. But this woman, it was acknowledged that she, that she had, had uh, 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 this, all, all these 25 different lives told. It's unbelievable. And I, I, I cannot, I hope you hear this show, or I hope somebody tells you about it. Because if this is ridiculous. It, if you don't hear it, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep fighting. We're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting. But my God, at least think about people as human beings. And not just let things go and, and, and walk over it. What is the law? What is justice? There's no such thing in this country. I haven't seen it yet. It's a sad day for America that something like this could happen and you could have a woman there that says she's a prosecutor and she's nothing but a crook who needs to go to prison for what she's done to my son. Thank you for the call. And thank you for the call tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Um... Injustice. We're in search for Lady Justice. She is missing. Uh, District Attorney-elect Dan May, we have a problem, and that is corruption in your office under your watch. Ladies and gentlemen, stand by. That story will come back again. We'll dig into that even more. Coming up, Attorney Andrew Luffer out of New York City, a civil rights attorney, and I'm telling you, we're getting ready to get thick. And serious here on AJC Radio. Civil rights, where are they? Where have they gone in a nation that has lost her way? Hang in there, stay in your seats. We're coming right back. This is AJC Radio, bringing the message of justice all around the world. Stand by. 
where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who is innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongly convicted of crimes that they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause, toll-free, at 1-855-529-4252. Again, 1-855-529-4252. Or visit www.a-justcause.com and click the donate button. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. A just cause is a 501c3. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, where we are in search for justice, bringing the message of justice all around the world. And I'll tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight's topic tonight, civil rights. America has seemed to have lost its book or its playbook in human equality. Tonight we visit that issue very seriously as we dig into a very un attractive picture of America and the treatment of its citizens, and tonight we dig into conversation in regards to talking about civil rights, the importance of that, and protecting those rights, the very critical importance of protecting those rights. As we visit this story tonight, Lisa Sam Cliff, we dance and speak in an arena 
for the IRP6. Six right. men that have been violated in such a horrific manner, and it starts with civil rights. And tonight, on that note, uh, we come in tonight with our first uh, honored uh, uh, guest tonight, an attorney, uh, a, a wonderful uh, gentleman who I've had the privilege of talking to on a couple of occasions, uh, by the name of Andrew Laffer out of New York City. And uh, this is a man that's fighting uh, and believes in civil rights and is making a difference uh, uh, where he is there in New York City and probably the impact across the nation. Uh, Andrew, how are you doing tonight? Very well. How are you? Doing good, doing good. And uh, we're happy to have you, Andrew, and uh, uh, telling the folks here at the studio and, and our listeners tonight that uh, – We've had an opportunity as we dig into this conversation. Uh, Andrew, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself and, and speak to the issues. Uh, uh, we've had some real good conversations, and uh, I look forward to our listeners being able to hear what you're doing and what, what drove you and the passions of what you do as, an, as a civil rights attorney uh, and, the, and the things that you're doing down there in, in New Year in the Big Apple. So uh, I'll turn the floor to you, Andrew. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks, and uh, we'll, we'll get started that way. Well, thank you very much. Uh, again, I'm Andrew Laufer. I'm a civil rights attorney. Here in New York City, uh, I primarily focus on false arrest, uh, malicious prosecution, and uh, excessive uh, force used against uh, individuals that involve themselves with law enforcement or find themselves involved rather with law enforcement. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, usually institute these claims in court, whether it be state or federal, and I seek justice for my clients. Okay, and. Uh... Andrew, as as a as what you've seen, as I don't know uh, if you've been listening to the program up till now, as we uncover uh, the acts of prosecutors, the actions of prosecutors, district attorneys, um, in your opinion, and in what you what you've seen in the cases that you've dealt with, where did America go wrong here? What happened? Well. You know, that's an excellent question. I, I think primarily because of the um, immunity that prosecutors enjoy in general, federal and state prosecutors, it's very, very difficult to um, hold them responsible for these types of acts. You have to show that they somehow involve themselves in a non-prosecutorial role in order to somehow get them um, to be at least a accountable in some respect. To some of these acts, very difficult to do that. And I think what's unfortunate, uh, Andrew, in the situation we were talking about previous in regard to my case that I shared with you, uh, mm -hmm. that the prosecutor um, basically told an eight-year-old girl, "This is not a woman that she intimidated." Mm -hmm. She made threats to an eight-year-old girl and said, "That's not the answer I want to hear from you." In regards when the young girl made the statement. Nothing happened. That wasn't good enough. And my question is, is that as it's kind of like we're breeding this type of person into our judicial process. Who is responsible for molding and shaping? I say all the time on this program, the culture is so bad. That's why it's so hard to fight through it. It has become and evolved into a culture. And how do you break culture, Andrew? How do you do it? By essentially, you know, putting, you know, everything out in the public eye. I think social media is essential to that. I think now that we have video cameras on every phone, we can really get beyond he said, she said. And usually that'll 
end up in, in, in you know, with, with a prosecutor or law enforcement winning that argument. Um, we get to see what really happens and what really goes on. So I think in that respect, things are going to change for the better. Um, it really depends on what this prosecutor did, how she drew out these statements from this person. I mean, it, was she acting in an investigatory yeah. uh, uh, role, oh. or was she acting as a prosecutor You know, during, during a grand, you know, you know, grand jury hearing sure. or something along those lines? Sure, and again, it, it, it wasn't a, necessarily a, a grand jury thing. It, but there were some other actions that uh, that Donna Billick did uh, that just crossed the line of law. And, and what we've seen, Andrew, uh, in regards to the RP6 case, I don't know if you've heard us reference that, six men uh, that were wrongfully convicted. And my thought is this, uh, Andrew, that when you take a man's liberty from him, you could, there could be no greater violation of civil rights when you take an innocent man or men, and a group of men in this case with the IRP-6, who had a vision to, to help America in your city, the CEO, uh, Gary Walker, stood in a hotel room and overlooking Ground Zero. And he made a statement that he never wanted nothing like this to happen on his watch. And the entrepreneur spirit that America is supposed to encourage and he had tears in his eyes. He said, I will do something with the skills and the talents God has given me to make a difference. And these six men sought out as patriots to keep America and the homeland safe, developing software that could track ISIS and cripple ISIS and terrorist groups around the world. And here's what they did. America came back and thanked them and threw them in prison wrongfully. They've been sitting there for three years. And all they sought out to do was to keep you, myself, our children safe from the actions of people like ISIS. And I'll tell you this, when I say America has lost her way, Andrew, when it comes to that and the safety and security of this country, and these men languish in prison over nothing but trying to do the right thing, how would you advise your clients to have faith in a system that has crossed such lines? Well, you know, that's a very good question, again. And I, you know, my response to that would be, you have to keep pushing. You have to keep going. You have to keep trying. Uh, you can't give up. That's what people or authorities or, or people that want you in jail want you to do. They want you to give up. Um, you know, I, it's a hard story, essentially. I mean, you, you hear about these stories every day where people are wrongfully incarcerated, um, and, and years later are found to have been uh, innocent and, and haven't done anything to deserve what they've done. I mean, I think the worst thing you can do to someone is take away their their freedom their, and essentially their humanity and treat them like an animal, putting them in a cage where they don't belong. Um, so you've got to just keep going and you've got to keep researching and finding an angle to try and, and get, you know, the authorities to listen and and rehear your case. Absolutely. And uh, Sam? Yeah, Mr. Lawfer, this is Sam Thurman. Thanks for joining the program. Uh, we appreciate it. Had a quick question for you. Uh, you know, as we talk about mass incarceration and disparity and, and uh, uh, prosecution and so forth, uh, you know, it's obvious that there is a major issue. And recently, as of, I think yesterday, it was reported uh, in the New York Times that uh, ex-Justice Department officials have filed a brief with the uh, Supreme Court basically 
you know, stating that federal prosecutors cross the line uh, quite often when it comes to uh, turning over evidence and that type of thing. And in the IRP6 case, uh, you know, there was a situation of the transcript uh, that was vital. It is vital to their exoneration because uh, there was a transcript that was withheld uh, that showed that their evidence that their uh, they were compelled. Uh, forced, if you will, to take the the stand. Now, my question is, uh, where does it cross the line as, as far as, you know, obviously it violates all types of laws when you talk about the Court Reporters Act and that type of thing, when, you know, when you're talking about transcripts. But where does it cross yeah. the line when, when a person's civil rights is violated in a criminal case? That's part one. And then the second part is, uh, is there a difference between civil rights and civil liberties, or are they one and the same? Yeah. Um, well, let me answer the first question. I mean, you clearly have Brady and Rosario violations there. In my opinion, that's a malicious prosecution. Um, if we're dealing with federal prosecutors, that's going to be a Bivens action. And, and I clearly think that that's the case. Then, you know, um, you know, habeas petition, get them out, um, get a federal judge to sign off on it, and then you have certainly a, a civil rights action against the Fed. Um, as for your, your second question, civil rights and civil liberties, they're, 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 they're essentially the same with certain distinctions. Um, in my opinion, civil rights are essentially equal treatment for all. It doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, what race, creed, or color you are. You cannot be discriminated against under the law. You have to be treated the same. You cannot be discriminated against for, for, any, for any reason. Everyone is treated the same. Civil liberties are, are more of the specific rights that we have in the Constitution. Um, the right to privacy, the right to um, freedom, the right to free speech, things of that nature. So ultimately, Andrew, it sounds like to me that if you take my civil liberties, you ultimately violate my civil rights. Correct. I think that's a very good way of putting it. And it's it's one in the same. And I think what we have, honestly, is when you look at the country as a whole, and I'll, I'll get you, I'll have you chime in on this for me, with the Michael Brown, the Eric Gardner there in New York City. I mean, if the civil rights means that all men are created equal, there is no discrimination for color, religion, sex, or national origin then how is it that African-American communities are targeted? That Eric Gardner, who goes in front of a police officer and raises his hand and says, I don't want any trouble. Michael Brown gets out of a car and is killed. Walter Scott gets chased down and he is shot in the back with eight warning shots, whatever they called it. This is in, this is horrific insanity. And we as Americans, if we sit back, and I agree with you, we have to fight because people keep dying. We have a cop shooting a man in Ohio, point blank range, because a license plate happens to be in his da- on his dashboard versus on the front of his car. This is... I don't know how America can deal with this. We I agree. Have, I don't think we have enough outrage. Talk to me, Andrew. Your thoughts well, on we, that? 
we, we don't, we absolutely positively don't have uh, any accountability. You know, that's, I think, what the growing pains we're going through right now are, developing accountability in this country. Law enforcement has a lot of power, obviously. The power, um, and that power can be used for, for, for good, and that power can certainly be used for bad, and we see a lot of that. In every industry, you've got bad people. You, you, you have a bad police officer or prosecutor, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of power. They have the power to deny your freedom and even your life. And I think that we, these, these individuals need to be uh, held accountable before the law. I mean, it's very difficult to get an indictment against a police officer. And the, the, the very district attorneys or ADAs that are, are, are you know, supposed to investigate a police officer yeah. are the same ones that are dealing with these same police officers on a daily basis because they're, you know, they're the arresting officer. And, and, the, and, the, and the DAs are prosecuting these individuals that they arrest. I think what we need is a special prosecutor in every jurisdiction that specifically deals with police misconduct. I think that's the first step. I think that's something that we absolutely need. We need someone that's uh, above the fray, so to speak, that's not politically connected in terms of needing support from one side or the other. And I think that's the way we need to go about doing something like this. Whether you get someone from another jurisdiction to come in and deal with a police misconduct case, um, I think that's what we need to do. And put, put before the evidence in front of a grand jury fairly, or a judge, depending on the jurisdiction you're in, fairly and openly. Uh, that's another thing that, 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 that prosecutors can do. They can pick and choose what they put before a grand jury. And, and there's immunity before the grand jury as well. And police officers can lie in, in front of a grand jury and really suffer no, no ill effect. Um, you know, it, it really is very difficult. And that, that causes us attorneys to get creative, saying that maybe they entered into some sort of conspiracy to defraud the grand jury prior to. Well, So hey. it's, it's very difficult the way things are now. And Andrew, I mean, just to echo off of what, what, uh, what you're saying, I, I think that the one of the biggest issues is this prosecutorial misconduct and the fact that they have immunity. And there needs to be something done to, uh, you know, to, to break that culture. Is, is, there, is, is there anything, I mean, you as a lawyer, uh, if the American Bar Association, if all the lawyers said, hey, you know, we as, uh, you know, the defense lawyers of America, if we come and do some type of class action uh, petition to say we need to change this law that prosecutors cannot lie during their you know their investigation during their prosecution they have to present proper evidence they cannot hide evidence they cannot create uh, you know witnesses they cannot coerce witnesses to lie that they have to follow the book because the fact that they can do anything that they want and when they get caught like in Lamont's case you know 25 acts of prosecutorial misconduct and this prosecutor still is prosecuting cases, and the district attorney knows it, and there's nothing being done about it. What can be done with these prosecutors that we as the public or you as a, uh, as a bar association member can do to get, this, to get this law reversed? What do we do with that? What about an amendment to that law? Well, aside from, from some serious legislative um, aerobics, uh, in terms of trying to get our elected officials to do something, sue. That's really the only thing we can do. You know, use our Seventh Amendment right to access to the courts um, and sue. 
get a, get an attorney who knows what they're doing, who's educated in the law, in civil rights, and and find a way to hold these prosecutors accountable. If they are acting in an investigatory manner with police officers trying to build a case out of out of nothing, um, speaking to witnesses, going out on the streets, telling police officers who they should talk to or what they should do, you could really make a good case there that they've crossed the line and they have what's referred to as qualified immunity, which is what police officers have. If they reasonably believe they're acting, uh, if it's reasonably objective, I should say, that they're acting, um, uh, well, rather, I'm sorry, if, they're, if it's reasonably objective that they're not acting in, in, in an appropriate manner, then they could be held liable under the law, under at least federal law, uh, 19, you know, USC, 42 U.S.C. 1983. That's what you need to focus on, and suing the municipality as well under a theory of Monell. If you have a pattern and practice, a conduct of a district attorney's office or a municipality that acts to deprive a person or rather a class of people of their civil rights, that's Monell. And and we've seen that even, and I know we have to go to break here in a second, but even when when they get caught, when they get brought up on charges, when they get indicted, prosecuted, and found guilty, I think the longest that we've seen that a prosecutor for sending someone to prison, knowingly breaking the law, sent a man to prison for 25 years, and what did he do? Ten days in county jail? Those are the type of things that uh, that make the, the public furious to say, you can send me to prison 25 years, knowingly lying, creating uh, evidence on me, false witnesses against me and you get a moment in time as your uh, as your retribution when I spend a lifetime sitting in prison, miss my whole family, miss funerals, births, weddings, graduations. My whole life passed me by and nothing happened to you as a prosecutor. It, it's sickening and disgusting and something needs to be done about it. Agreed. Uh, I mean, it completely uh, something like that just completely undermines faith in the system. And Andrew, uh, we're going to get ready to take a quick break, and I'll tell you this. You know, we're going to deal with this issue one way or the other as a nation, whether it's an outcry, whether it's a uh, an uprising, if you will, of Americans getting irritated. But it, it has to go so far above irritation, it has to become an outrage. And until we as a nation... Until we as a nation deal with that, and I think the points you make are are valid points that you make, that here's the point. This is outrageous. How, what will it take? How many body bags will have to be filled in the United States of America before we say enough is enough? Because look, if a prosecutor goes out and murders somebody, he's supposed to be held accountable. We're going to come right back, Andrew. you got a few minutes. We'll, I'd like you to come and give our folks your contact information. I think sure. the information and the insights you give on this tonight, Andrew, is uh, is very valuable. And we're going to come I appreciate that. And, 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 you know, let me also just advocate, you know, we, you know we, we, we're enraged by this, but we need to be peaceful about it in, in terms of expressing that rage, protesting, but peacefully, as best we can. No, absolutely. And, and you know what? Uh, Martin Luther King made the clear point uh, that we have a right to protest, and we, we did a show one time on protesting, and why do people protest? Because of violation of rights. 
fed up, tired. They feel like they've gone so long, enough is enough. Andrew, we'll be right back. Stay with us on the other line at the side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, on the East Coast, it's close to 9 o'clock. Dinner time is probably wrapping up. But I'll tell you what right now, if you're looking for mystery and drama, you found it here on AJC Radio in regards to civil rights, the violation of those rights, the horror of those rights. Until you see civil rights violations as a major act of horror, you're never going to change it. You're never going to fight it. Well, we have a horror story being told right now. In Florence, Colorado, six men, the IRP six, patriots of America, sit in a cage tonight as an animal for something they didn't do. But what they did do was create something to keep the homeland safe. When you lay your head on your pillow tonight, these men created software to ensure that doesn't go anywhere. But their civil rights were violated. We're going to dig into that when we come back. Andrew, stay with us. Ladies and gentlemen of America, stand by. Agency Radio is just kicking off. into the prison system. It was a completely bad experience, everything from the smell, sights, and the sounds. And it laid the groundwork, I believe, for whatever criminal history I had after my experience with Swaffer. His experience has been a nightmare. Um, this is a young man that has really never fought in the street. He's had constant fights in the facility where he's at. He's been robbed from his belongings, his clothes. Uh, so it's a horrible experience for him as well as for his family. Uh, the campaign to close Spofford is a movement of community folks, activists, young people, parents, uh, who basically believe that uh, Spofford, which was supposed to be shut down 12 years ago when two new juvenile centers were opened, really needs to be closed this time around for good uh, and turned into something positive for the community. community. Well, I was horrified by the visit to Spofford today. Um, as I'm always horrified by visits to youth prisons, prisons are no places for children. It should be closed. Spofford should be closed. Um, Bridges, if it's now called that, should never be open again. It is no place for children. It costs 237000 for one bed uh, in these secure juvenile detention centers, centers, and half the kids who go into them are readmitted uh, within one year. Um, so we know that uh, it's not working to lock kids up. Uh, the city uh, has finally uh, stated its intention to close Spofford down. Um, and, and we're thrilled about that, we celebrate that. Uh, however, we're also concerned because we know that last time that it was shut down, it was reopened again in six months and used again uh, as a juvenile detention facility. I would love to see this turned into uh, some sort of multi-purpose, multi-service community center. The barbed wire is a gate. It's a prison in a community where there's so many young people that could be serviced through this facility in a positive way. All our children are talented, beautiful, and skilled, and it's just giving them the resources that they need to help them. 
kids that don't deserve to be there. Most of the kids that be there, they'd be like kids who you could tell just be scared or doing stuff that fit in. Like, that's not an environment for that. For me, I think they should have more community centers or programs to help us out instead of trying to incarcerate us. All this going to do is make us worse instead of better. Instead of putting our kids at risk all the time, let's put them at potential, give them the necessary tools and and alternatives to incarceration that have proven to be more successful. It's time for the people that we elect to represent us to keep keep their promises and tell the truth and close Walker down for good. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, uh, we have been uh, honored to have uh, New York City Attorney Andrew Luffer joining us tonight as we discuss the horror of the lack of civil rights in this country. And Andrew, you have shed some light on some things that are very, very good uh, information. I believe not only the, the folks in this studio... But American people around the world who are suffering as at the hand uh, of authorities in violation of these rights. And I think you've shed some light on that. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. You with us? Yeah, sure am. Yeah. All right. What I'd like to do, Andrew, as you know, we're up against the clock tonight. Uh, I want to get, get, extend a personal invitation for you to come back with us uh, on another program. I think you have a lot of knowledge that you can offer us. Uh, uh, and our listeners, uh, as we dig into the healing process and in search for the answer uh, of healing the wounds that these civil rights violations have caused across a very crippled nation right now. Um, but I would like to give you the opportunity to give the folks uh, a way to get a hold of you uh, sure. if they need to call you. Go ahead and speak to our folks, would you? Sure, absolutely. And I would be honored to come back to the show. Um, again, it's Andrew Lau, first civil rights attorney here in New York City. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Laufer Law. Uh, you can find me on the internet at LauferLawGroup.com and phone number two one two four two two ten twenty. All right, thank you so much for that, and I, I really appreciate that, Andrew. Have a safe, uh, safe evening tonight. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us. Uh, we really, really appreciate that. Okay. My pleasure. Absolutely, it was enjoyable. Okay, we'll be back in touch with you offline. Take care and uh, uh, be safe out there. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Okay, folks, uh, there you have it. Uh, uh, very interesting gentleman, Sam, as we listen Absolutely. to his uh, – you can hear the outrage. Yep, yep. Um, and I think it's because he has walked in the shoes of his clients uh, as a civil rights attorney hearing and seeing uh, the tragedies that this uh, – this is unbelievable. Well, you know, Lamont, there are a lot of uh, – you know, you hear the term trickle-down effect. You know, uh, uh, there are a lot of things that uh, come out of violations of civil rights. So, you know, a person's civil rights can be violated, and it just has a domino effect in other areas of their life. Like, like you uh, and, and Cliff were highlighting uh, the things with the IRP-6 case. 
I mean, you, you look at their situation where their Fifth Amendment was violated, their speedy trial was violated, you got the Court Reporters Act that was violated, you got uh, handwriting experts, uh, stuff that was that came into play in the in the Lawana Clark case, which contributed to the uh, part of the IRP6 case. Uh, Judge Arguello not recusing herself. Uh, you got uh, uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch interfering with commerce by contacting uh, potential uh, customers and, and prospects that were that IRP was working with and saying, do not work with them. I mean, you just just violations all over the place. Well, I'll tell you what, Sam. There is when uh, Andrew was making mention. That is when a prosecutor now has stepped outside of the role of prosecutor thus delivering prosecutional misconduct. And folks, ladies and gentlemen of America, we're going to dig into that even more. Tonight, coming up right now, we'd like to uh, uh, bring on this program. We have the opportunity to, enter, uh, to speak with Paula Johnson. Uh, she's a, a professor out of New York. But I'm just, we're going to go ahead and go straight into that as we search for answers um, to civil rights. And how do we find those answers out? Paula, are you there with us? Sure. Well, hello there, and thank you for calling in today. And uh, ladies and gentlemen of AJC Radio, uh, we have the distinct privilege tonight of welcoming Paula C. Johnson, uh, a professor of law at Syracuse University. And uh, uh, Paula, thanks for taking the time this evening uh, to, uh, to to call in and, and to be a part of AJC Radio. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, this is an intriguing lady um, who. Is doing some great things, and uh, I thought it would be a good idea as we were talking, uh, Paula and I, a few weeks ago, and talking about what's your vision, your passion, and uh, I, I don't think there's any uh, greater uh, platform uh, than AJC Radio and to reach the listeners uh, to, to share your story and your passion and your vision uh, to make America a better place. So I'm going to just give you the floor and uh, let you introduce yourself to our listeners and uh and we're going to get into some dialogue here. Okay. Well, first of all, Lamont, thank you so much for inviting us to participate. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with you about the importance of Just Cause Radio and the great work that you do in informing our communities about this critical uh, work and the issues that are going on with us. So thank you for having us. Um, and let me just uh, add also that with me is one of uh, one of my students, one of my law students, who has been working this summer on our project, the Cold Case Justice Initiative, and she will introduce herself uh, as well. I'll just say really quickly about myself. Um, I'm a uh, uh, we're, we're speaking to you from Washington D.C. right now, where we've been working. Um, to ensure that the Emmett Till um, Unsolved crime, uh, Civil Rights Era Crimes Act is enforced to its fullest uh, uh, capacity. Uh, the Emmett Till Act was passed in 2008 um, to ensure that people who had been murdered or disappeared and presumed to be dead uh, as a result of racial, racially motivated violence um, would be brought to justice, that the perpetrators of those crimes would be brought to justice. Um, and even in the cases where that uh, opportunity no longer existed, that we would get more information about people who committed the crimes and the families would know more about it. So our project is called the Cold Case Justice Initiative. 
CCJI for short, and we're based at Syracuse University College of Law. That's where I and my uh, co-director, Professor Janice McDonald, uh, teach. We're law professors there, and we co-direct um, CCJI. Why don't I stop there by way of introduction, and I'll let Karen introduce herself, and then we can talk about what we've been up to this summer. No worries. Okay, go ahead. Hi, my name is Karen Bryson. I'm a rising 3L, or a rising third-year law student at Syracuse University College of Law, originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and a Howard University alum. Wow, very impressive. Uh, uh, and uh, and I presume, uh, Paula, that uh, Janice isn't joining us on the call. Is that right? No, Janice is not joining us. So let me tell you a little bit about things, about some of the way that things have worked for us this summer. Um, we received a very generous grant um, that enabled us to hire uh, law students interns for our summer program. And so um, the, the, the nature of our work is that many of our investigations involve cases, uh, you know, in the South. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're also doing work on the legislative end of things in addition to, to the cases. And so... Um, uh, so Janice and I sort of split up the students that we had this summer. She is uh, primarily working in Atlanta, and I am primarily working uh, with the students in Washington and in New York. We also have interns based uh, in New York at, uh, at at Syracuse. So she is there, um, and I am here. And uh, so I'm fortunate to be able to talk to you today. Okay, and I'll tell you this uh, now. Uh, our topic tonight for the for the show is addressing civil rights, uh, the importance of civil rights, and the importance of protecting those rights, and, and I think as you alluded to, and correct me if I'm wrong, that these are uh, crimes or cold cases uh, that were doing the civil rights era. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, you know, there are numerous cases that you know, some sometimes we have you know we know the names of the victims, um, but as our work has continued since 2007, 2008, we have found that there are many other victims whose names you know have never been you know known publicly, maybe only known to the victims' families. But we think that um, you know they deserve to be um, recognized as well and have their cases addressed. Um, also, but yes, the work that we do uh, involves cases that uh, essentially happened during the civil rights era. But I should say to you quickly also that um, in addition to that, and, 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 and we are seeing this, unfortunately, uh, it, it seems virtually every day, that there are similar cases to the ones that we have been working on or concentrating on from the civil rights era that are happening right now. Wow. Um, and so from beyond the, 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 the legislative period or the statutory period of the Emmett Till Act, we have cases where families come to us and say something happened to their loved ones in the 1970s, in the 1980s. And as I said, we are witnessing right now the very same sorts of things happening uh, right before our eyes today. So um, there, you know, in, in, in that defined period of the civil rights era, um, you know, there were many folks uh, who were who were killed, 
um, based on their race, uh, and their cases remain uninvestigated, unsolved, no one having been found accountable for them. Um, but, uh, you know, we have extended the work that we have done beyond that date because so many people have come to us with need. So, yes, that's, that's a description of the work that we do. And joining me today, uh, Paula is my esteemed colleague, Charlisa Stewart. Uh, she's a host here on AJC Radio. And I think, Lisa, you had a question for her as well. I did. Paula, hi. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good today. I was just I was just wondering, I'm listening to you talk to Lamont here, and I'm just wondering, what is it that drove your passion to uh, seek out this kind of work, to be doing this kind of work, looking into uh, to uh, uh, the cold cases and the and the and the civil rights violations. What what is it that drove you to that? That gave you the inspiration or the desire to want to work in that area? Well, you know, I'll tell you that um, it has been a lifelong passion for me uh, to be involved in social justice movements. I I really can't remember a time when I wasn't involved in some sort of capacity. Um, you know, from school days to now um, in a grassroots fashion and then going on to, uh, you know, law school for that, you know, very purpose. Um, So all of the different things that I have done, I've always considered to be, you know, of a piece. It's all about, you know, it's all about, you know, the justice mission and um, trying to make sure that, um, you know, people or communities that have not been represented or heard, you know, you know, will 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 we'll be so. And um, my colleague Janice McDonald was actually doing some uh, work uh, in Louisiana in 2007 when uh, she came across some information about a case there, uh, a man named Frank Morris, who was um, on the list of victims. It's called the Forgotten List um, that was attached to the Emmett Till Act. And so as she was actually doing some other research, she came across this, and she met the granddaughter of Frank Morris. He was a black shoe shop, um, shoe repair shop owner in this small Mississippi River town um, called Faraday, Louisiana. Uh, December 1964, uh, his shop was set ablaze by three white men who forced him back into the shop at gunpoint and then doused. Uh, the, 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 the place with a flammable liquid. Um, he was able to get his grandson out and another young worker um, uh, who was, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the building with him, but he died. He uh, succumbed to the third-degree, uh, you know, burns that he suffered uh, during that time. And when we were approached by the granddaughter who had said, you know, we never got any information about, you know, what happened. We don't know about any investigations. Um, you know, can you help our family learn more about this? Um, and certainly, you know, in the interest of um, trying to find out who did it, to hold those folks accountable. So we began to work on that case. We um, sent out, you know, notice to law students and asked if they wanted to work with us. And a number of them did volunteer, and we've just been going ever since. When people learned about the work that we were doing, more of them came to us. Um, 
we delved more deeply ourselves into research to see more about the cases, and that's how we began to learn about others that weren't on anybody's list before. Um, so, so you know, our project has simply grown as the need uh, has has grown. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, Paul, I'm sitting here, uh, you know, AJC, uh, Just Cause, uh, we've had our, our uh, share of uh, emerging on the steps of Capitol Hill, uh, mm. talking to congressmen and senators. Uh, we have taken probably, uh, I believe, we're at the number of about 30 trips in the last year uh, emerging on the nation's capital, fighting for justice. Uh, so as I, as I hear your work and what you're doing, I, I was uh, looking over some information here that you have sent us. Says that your advocacy also includes requiring that Congress exercise its oversight responsibility over the Department of Justice and FBI to fully and effectively implement the Emmett Till Act, and that's to make sure that all victims of racist, violent crime, and killings are identified. And extending that act is scheduled uh, uh, 2017 expiration date, and the fight for that and the importance for that. Uh, how successful have you been in making those in routes? Uh, you, of course, you're in the nation's capital now. How receptive are uh, the members of Congress and the folks up there in Washington to ensuring that that act uh, be extended? Well, let me. I, I'm, I'm going to say a few words about that, and then I'm going to ask Karen to talk about the experiences that we have been had that that we okay. have uh, been having uh, up on Capitol Hill. But let me let let me just say sure. a couple of things first. And that is um, very interesting that you mentioned about having come to the, you know, to, to, to the Hill those many times. Um, we were just there today, and there was uh, a rally on the steps um, uh, by the uh, House uh, Democrats and um, a couple of members on the Senate side who joined them to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. Um, which uh, was passed in August of, of 1965. Uh, so many of the folks who are like-minded in terms of voting rights issues and other civil rights issues um, have also been the people who passed the Emmett Till Act. Um, and so we have been uh, contacting members of the Congressional Black Caucus, um, sure. You know, but other members in the uh, in the House and in, in the Congress um, as well to make to make it clear to them that the act has not reached its full potential, and 2017 is rapidly approaching, and we need for them um, to, uh, uh, to, 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 to submit inquiries, to, to have the Department of Justice and the FBI um, answer to them um, in regard to the statute that they passed. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, there was a list of cases, um, not a finite list, but even as to the, you know, original list, many of the most of those cases have been closed without any prosecution. And so before the Department of Justice, um, you know, continues in that vein where it's likely that, you know, all of the cases will be closed, we want to make sure that newly identified uh, victims of these racial crimes will also be included and will also have the opportunity for their cases to be investigated. 
So we need for Congress to act to make sure that the Emmett Till Act itself does not um, end in 2017 without much more of the work being done in order to address these uh, long, long standing injustices. So those are the sorts of things we've been asking for, and I'll let Karen tell you what some of our efforts have been uh, over the summer. Go ahead, Karen. Hi, yes. So we have um, been reaching out to members of Congress and members of um, the Senate to help us support us in the work that we've been doing in getting the Emmett Till Act reauthorized and also getting um, some of the the concerns that we have about the Emmett Till Act as it is written now, um, getting some of those things addressed with the Department of Justice. Um, we've had a lot of success, especially um, with members of the CBC. Um, I think um, these the issues um, closely align to um, some of the the concerns that members of the CBC have and, and some of their other legislative acts um, were closely aligned. Um, we're also reaching across the aisle trying to to get uh, support from both parties um, because this initially, uh, the Emmett Till Act was initially a bipartisan act and we want the reauthorization of it um, to also be bipartisan. Um, so we've we've had a lot of success on the Hill. Everyone that we have spoken with, our numerous meetings this week and last week, um, everyone seems to be very supportive of our efforts. Um, but again, we are trying to to reach out across the aisle and and get support from both sides. Well, I'll tell you this: uh, <laughs> you ladies are fascinating, uh, and I, Lisa, as you hear these ladies talk. Uh, I tell you what, I'm I'm I I feel totally uh enthused, if you will, uh that such efforts uh, are being made. Uh, uh you seem to be civil rights advocates. Uh I don't think people understand how important that is. Uh I don't think people understand what civil rights actually are and why our forefathers made it very necessary uh in the constitution to protect those rights of every living human being in America. Um, and I'll tell you this, we had the privilege of having Congressman Charles Rangel uh, on our show uh, about a month ago, and a, a very, very sweet, gentle, and but a fighter and, a, and, a, and a, just an inspiration to us uh, as we had the opportunity again. As a result of our uh, efforts in Washington, uh, we have made some pretty good uh, inroads there. I will tell you this, uh, a just cause is about coming together as family uh, and striving to, to work together with organizations such as yourself to make a difference. I can tell you right now, we commit uh, to pushing that forward uh, to the legislation, to the people that we know, the context that we have uh, in regards to this. I think given the tone of the country right now, given the tone of the the Michael Brown situation, the Eric Gardners of our nation, the Walter Scott's of our country, the Trayvon Martin, and all the people. Sam DuBose, I mean, the, the Cincinnati, just, just, just this week. You know, uh, Sandra Br- uh, Brown, uh, uh, Bland, I'm sorry. Sure. Yes, I mean, the names are just too numerous at this point to, to, to keep in your head without looking at them on a list. Sure. I, 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 and you know what? You bring up Cincinnati. Uh, I just heard of that late, late last night. Uh, this man was killed by an officer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, getting, getting, was unarmed. I mean, it's yes. like we have. I'm sorry. 
Yes, no, that, that's exactly right. Yes, yet, yet another case of someone uh, pulled over ostensibly for a minor traffic violation. Um, I think his was not having a license plate in, in the front. That's um, what it was. Yes, yeah. and these things are not supposed to result in death sentences. You know, well, I watched that video over and over again until I just couldn't watch it anymore. But each time with the feeling of being, uh, you know, angry as well as heartbroken. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Lisa, as you hear those ladies talk, um, it's very clear that America has a problem. Uh, we have to find a solution to that problem. Yes. And I think uh, what Paula and, and Karen are talking about uh, are actions they are taking in order to uh, bring change. But it starts with us. And as a nation, we have to look in, uh, in the mirror and say, look, what can I do to make a difference? That needs to happen now. Ladies and gentlemen of America, stay with us as we come back. Uh, as we are ending another end of a show, we got another half hour or so. Uh, we're going to pick up the interview back with Paula and Karen. And, ladies and gentlemen, please be very, very clear in what we're saying tonight. Civil rights, that's your rights. That's your children's rights. That's their children's rights, your grandchildren. What are we going to do? Do we sit back and let our rights be taken away, or do we fight to get them back? This is AJC Radio in search for justice, bringing the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now, here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's a racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of America's drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes? 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and federal prison. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparities in America's war on drugs are one big reason that one of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. Ladies and gentlemen of America, AJC Radio, bringing the message of justice all around the world. And that's uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Sam, giving some insight, Lisa Cliff, that he believed in a nation that somehow through the struggle and through the fight, we would attain what we needed. And I'll tell you what, that's moving. Sam, it, it, it brings all the juices running. And it makes you feel, man, we have to continue fighting. Otherwise, does his debt, does his life be in vain? And, and a lot of other lives. I mean, you know, there were a lot of people who marched and, and uh, protested. Uh, and as you heard in that clip where uh, he was talking about hoses and, and so forth and, and uh, water cannons and, and all of that, there were a lot of people that, uh, that, that uh, gave a lot uh, to ensure that civil rights uh, were extended to every citizen of the United States. And to see, as Lisa was saying earlier in the program, and, and as you were talking, and Cliff, to see how people are uh, seem to be working to reverse that or to at least not uphold it, that that's disturbing. I mean, because, uh, you know, there's that saying that uh, if we uh, forget our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And, and, uh, yeah. and that's the road we're on. Well, that's true. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about civil rights, uh, the violation of rights. And uh, Dr. King was a pioneer uh, in attaining what we have thus far, and lives have been lost. Uh, we're going to go back to the interview with Paula Johnson uh, and Karen, uh, uh, the law student, uh, Karen uh, Bryson, uh, doing some good stuff, Lisa, in the nation's capital, fighting for justice, for civil rights. Uh, let's get back to that interview. 
Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, Paula and Karen. Here, here's what's really concerning to me. When you made the statement early on that we are seeing civil rights cases from that we saw during the civil rights era, we're seeing that today. That is the most troubling thing that you could say because guess what? We claim to have come a great distance. We claim that we've come past that, at least those that are in denial will state that we we have we 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 kind of gotten past those troubles of racial disparities and racial issues in our country. And all you have to do is to be alive for the last 7 or 8 months and realize that's absolutely not the case. That's why I think it's very, very important, and I, I do believe that you will get bipartisan support because uh, Butterfield, I believe, is the is the uh, sitting uh, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, isn't he? Yes, he uh, is. He is in the chair. Yes. We had an opportunity to to actually meet with some of his people down there, and I'll tell you this right now, uh, Karen and 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 Paula, and I, I, you know, definitely uh, suggest and recommend that you take a look at the IRP six case. Uh, it is not a murder, but I'm going to explain this to you very, very carefully. Uh, prison and wrongful convictions are the worst types of violations of civil rights when men's liberties have been taken from them wrongfully. Uh, I don't know if you had an opportunity for me to share that with you. I was wrongfully convicted here in the state of Colorado and did seven years in the state penitentiary here uh, for something that I did not do. Now... Again, when you take a man's liberty from him, you have violated every right that he's, that he's entitled to under the Constitution and under his civil rights. You've taken that. And uh, I think we talked briefly uh, in regards to Stephen Harrington, uh, a friend of mine who has been sitting in prison for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? Guess what? He's in there for murder. No DNA to support the, 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 the conviction. And I bring this up to say this. To your point, Paula and Karen, that we have an existing building problem as as far as the violation of rights of Americans, African Americans, uh, Latinos, you name it. We have a epidemic going on here. That is very, that is why we must push uh, y'all's initiative, and and that's y'all's, and that's probably not proper English, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, we need to push that initiative. And yeah. I can tell you what you got the support of AJC. Uh, and a just cause to to do that, and I think this is why this interview is so very very important. Um, and I think you know it it may be an idea to reach out to the members of the judiciary uh, uh, as well. Uh, they they are it's, it's kind of weird up in Washington. You probably figured this out. Every committee that has the stronghold is connected to the other committees. <laughs> uh, That's right. The, the, the judiciary have powerful people because here's what here's what it boils down to, Paula. And Karen, the judiciary is to oversee and do the oversight for judicial process. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got cases out there that are unsolved, that's part of the judicial process. And members of the judiciary are definitely folks that would be interested in that. And you know what? When you've got Congress meeting on the steps of, of the Capitol uh, holding their hands up, uh, saying, don't shoot, Mm-hmm. Yes, they, yes, they, yes. They seem to be concerned. Well, that, well, 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 Lamont, so that is precisely the type of work that we've been doing. Um, we've been, uh, you know, speaking to members of the, uh, you know, the House and the Senate Judiciary Committees. You know, the Appropriations Committee is also very important because they determine what funding 
um, the agencies get to do the work. Um, sure. And the Emmett Till Act was um, they, uh, money was appropriated uh, for them uh, in this statute to the tune of ten million dollars a year, and actually as a plus three million um, to do community outreach. And so, you know, the question is whether or not the department actually um, got that money. Did they request it? Um, get it? Did they request it? Not get it? Did they spend it? If so, how? You know, these are the sorts of questions that have to be answered. So there, uh, there's the Criminal Justice Committee. You know, so there's a lot, you know, as you say, there are a lot of interrelationships between the different committees. Um, um, and, 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 and this is, you know, the role that Congress has, uh, you know, when they pass legislation that they consider to be so essential. And this was landmark legislation. Um, then they have to also uh, commit themselves to the oversight um, to make sure that that legislation is being carried out. And there really isn't anything more important right now um, than that which has to do with uh, criminal justice, our civil liberties, issues of race uh, relations in this country. And, you know, and just to the question you had asked a little bit earlier, um, you know, about the importance of civil rights. I mean, one of the things that we see now is that this this issue of civil rights and civil li- and civil liberties um, can have consequences of, of 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 life and death. You know, it has to do with the citizen's relationship to her or his government and others in that society. Um, and you know, w- you know, w- what is the rightful you know role and what it, you know of government in our lives? Um, what is excessive, what is unjust. You know, these are the sorts of questions that we have to ask as a civil society and demand answers to those things and demand the right sort of treatment for all people in our society, whether they are citizens or not. There is a certain way in which all people ought to be treated in a society um, in the world. And I want to mention to you also that... um, you know, beyond, uh, you know, addressing these issues on a national level, um, you know, we have taken this matter to, uh, to the U.N. Um, we see these issues as human rights um, uh, uh, issues and, and violations as well. So we uh, have taken uh, this cause uh, to the U.N. to ask that um, uh, that, that body also uh, take action with respect to what the United States responsibilities are vis-a-vis the rights of all of the citizens, particularly those who tend to get or bear the brunt of racism and racist violence, uh, including killings in this country. Wow. I mean, this is that's very, very impressive stuff. But I feel your passion, uh, your push. Uh, you know what? We don't have enough people like you and Karen in the world. We just don't. We don't have enough people... Uh, that's willing to get in the trenches, and that's what's going to take. Any type of, you know, I said this the other night on the program, that any time change is demanded and change comes to a nation or a revolution takes place, something has to be sacrificed that that might happen. And the sacrifice, to be honest with you, is the hard work, is the labor, is the unfortunate cost of life. Yeah. For people yeah. to say, you know what, we have a problem in this country. We, we've turned a blind eye, I believe, uh, too long. 
And I'll tell you what, uh, man, I am I am so impressed. Uh, and I got a question for Karen. You guys still got a few more minutes to stay, stay with us? We do. We do. Okay. Karen, you're a law student. Uh, at the at the end, you're you're basically on third base getting ready to hit the home plate. Is that about yes. right? <laughs> yes. So here's what we got. As you've seen the civil rights, I mean, working with a – and, Paula, let me tell you something. You said you were honored to be on our program. I'm honored to have you. As I read your bio, man, I'm saying this woman is a woman of extreme importance in our society, uh, and I, I think it said somewhere that you were over over 900 uh, incoming law professors, law students. Uh, I, I used to I used to be the co-president of an organization called the Society of American Law Teachers, um, SALT, and um, that was a group of pro- progressive law professors across the country, um, other legal educators, and uh, yeah, our numbers uh, were upwards of 900 or so. So yes. And, and you know what we talk about all the time is the power that we have as educators, as leaders, as this microphone, to be honest with you, is a huge weapon for justice. And I think, when, you know, when I read that and see all that's involved, you actually shape and mold the next generation of people that what's important is that what you implement and your passion that you have that comes across to fight for the rights of everyone. That is a seed planted in our society that has to be planted and will yield some type of of production. And that's the encouraging thing, I think. You got you know you got a lot of people that have that power, and they're steering people astray. They're telling mm-hmm. people, I oh, don't worry about it, you know. And a lot of lawyers, you know, a lot of lawyers and prosecutors are doing what they do because some mentor somewhere. Showed them how to cut corners and not fight for justice. And thus the problem in our nation right now with crooked prosecutors, don't care about civil rights. Judges sitting on benches, don't care about civil rights. So we now develop and create a culture of, of disgust and of things that really make you really, really angry and definitely emotionally charged. But... Just, I, I had to point out your extreme uh, resume, if you will, of of what you're doing. I'm so so impressed. Uh, well, thank you, for, thank you for what, that. But let me just say this also, Lamont. I mean, this is why, um, you know, you know, when 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 you invited us to, you know, to come on, I, you know, insisted that we also have a student with us, you know, sure. because this work, in, in whatever capacity, this work has to be carried on, um, you know, by others. And so I always tell my students, you know, you, you, you may not continue to do cold cases, um, but you will be imbued with this spirit, you know, of passionate, um, you know, civil rights, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, work in, in, in whatever you do. So even if, you know, if you're doing private law practice, you know, there is always a way to contribute. You might do pro bono work. Um, you know, if you're if, if that's not you know if your if your practice is not civil rights per se or public interest per se, there is always a way to contribute, and that is what I encourage from our students. Well, Karen, I, that, that takes me to my question for Karen. Karen, as being a law student, again, almost headed for home plate, and the things that you have observed working with such a great mentor like Paula, what I mean, 
I'm, I'm sure you went into law to do to be that voice, to do the right thing to for justice and the the things people say that they go to law school for. How do you stay motivated to be now, in my opinion, a minority of those that are doing it the correct way in our judicial system? How do you stay motivated to believe in a system that seems to be falling apart daily? How do you, as you set your path or your journey, if you will, how do you deal with that? And what motivates you to, to, to press for that? Um, I think that's a, a really great question. I think that my minority status is actually a motivator for me. Um, I personally believe that you have to lead by example, and I want to show not only myself and my family and my community, but show um, the greater society that there are minority um, leaders in this country who are actively working to better their space. And I and I hate to I don't like to think of civil rights as a minority issue um, because I think as you spoke it earlier, this is a violation of civil rights or civil liberties um, is a violation or should be felt as a violation to everyone. Um, I, I'm blanking on Martin Luther King's famous quote about injustice or injustice somewhere is, is anywhere. Anywhere right. is, is injustice, injustice everywhere. everywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yes. Yes. And and I think that that's how that's how the work that I'm doing here with CCJI, I think that is um the way that um the injustices that have happened during the civil rights era, um, the fact that these injustices have not um, been brought to light the fact that we have not sought justice for um, these atrocities um, should be should be seen as a threat to justice for us in the future, regardless of color or gender or sexual orientation. Um, threats to justice um, should have consequences, and I, I think that the work that I'm doing here um, helps me to more clearly see that. Um, and it also helps me to think about, um, as Professor Johnson said earlier, um, even if you're not working specifically in civil rights or working for the Cold Case Justice Initiative, um, keeping that as your marker, as your standard um, for all of the work that you do um, is important. Well, you know what? Uh, you folks should be on a morning te- television show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you guys speak so... Uh, eloquently i mean just uh i'm i'm overwhelmed lisa with these ladies man yeah, that, you guys that, are doing a great wow. i mean what you're doing is a really wonderful thing there aren't a lot, we need more people working on these kind of things and focused on uh american civil rights there's so many people who are violated and there's so few people who are standing up and trying to make a difference for those people you no know, paula i have a thought uh you know maybe uh uh, uh Paula and uh, Karen uh, 2016 uh, ticket for, uh, <laughs> for the bring, White House. Well, bring us back. Bring us back. Um, <laughs> can I just say something quickly to what Lisa was saying? Because, sure. you know, one of the things that is important, I think, for us to recognize is that as people of color, you know, our status is, is, is not minority status. Um, not in this nation and not in the world. And so that's one of the reasons why it was so important for us to, you know, make this case in Geneva 
um, you know, before this world body where all of the nations of the world are represented and to say this is not just a domestic issue. This is, a, this is an issue of the highest order in terms of international uh, human rights. And so we have to see ourselves as part of the world community and not just a localized issue. When we went to Geneva, you know, people were asking us all the time, what is going on in the United States? They were telling us about what was going, you know, what, what they were hearing about Ferguson and, you know, Staten Island and, you know, all of the other killings that had been happened, had been, had, had happened. And so, you know, this is something for us to realize is not just about the United States. It's about the status and what is going on in the lives of people of color and all of the different groups that Karen also mentioned in mm -hmm. the world, in their respective countries, certainly, but also what does that mean for us as part of a global community? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, we're on board, uh, and you have, uh, you know, they say the United States have, has several allies. You guys have uh, gained one today uh, at AJC okay. and this calls. And uh, i tell you what we're going to do. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna submit some information uh, to the people. We have really some direct contacts to Congress folks, uh, congressmen and congresswomen on Capitol Hill. Uh, we intend to bring this issue. They take just calls very seriously in Washington, and uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, we intend to to push this, and uh, I'm gonna. We're gonna do. We're gonna do one better than that. We're gonna post uh, your information, uh, your work, your calls, what you're doing on our website. Uh, where folks can come there, and I'm telling you, we have congresspeople and uh, congressmen and senators and, and very, very important people in our nation's capital tuning in to AJC Radio, and uh, they go to that uh, to our website, and they check what's going on out there. And, uh, I'll, again, you're down there right in uh, Congressman Charles Rangel's neck of the woods down there. So uh, we're going we're gonna to definitely push and, and do what we can. Uh, what I'd like you to do is to... Tell our folks how they can get a hold of you, uh, if they're interested, people that can reach out and, and join in this fight for civil rights and for justice. How can they get a hold of you folks? Yes, so we have a website at Syracuse University at the College of Law. Um, you can reach us at um, the www.syr.edu backslash cold case law. So it's S-Y-R, as in Syracuse, dot E-D-U, backslash, cold case law, all one word. So you can please do visit our website, um, see what types of activities that we have been doing along these lines. You know, we do programs, uh, you know, in addition to the investigations and this legislative work that we do, we do public programs, and we've often invited speakers, uh, sometimes the family members of people who have been murdered under these circumstances, or others who have knowledge or you know, have been active on, on these cases. Um, and we always invite, you know, the public to participate in, uh, in those things. Uh, we did a program just last December at the National Press Club, and we had members of Congress on the uh, panel. Uh, we had relatives of Emmett Till who were on the panel. Um, Frederica Whitfield of CNN was our moderator. Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, representative from Texas, was on uh, on the panel, so and the public was invited to that. So we do those types of things, um, you know, to 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 make the public aware uh, about these issues. 
um, and about how they might, uh, you know, insist that these injustices be corrected as as well. So please do visit our our website and, um, uh, you know, feel free to be in touch with us also. Let me add, too, that, you know, this is the 60th summer of Emmett Till's death, of his murder, um, August uh, 28th, 1955. And just last week, July 25th, would have been his 74th birthday. Um, so in so many ways, this work is timely for us to be remembering him and the sacrifice that he and his mother and the courage of his mother, uh, maybe till uh, mostly uh, um, uh, in, in, in ensuring that the world was aware of what happened to him um, by having that open casket. And so we have to fulfill our responsibilities to make sure that his legacy uh, continues and that flame continues in all of us. Well, hey, uh, like I said, uh, that, that's, that's, that's awesome stuff, uh, very thought-provoking uh, information. We appreciate you ladies taking time uh, to join us tonight for this show, and I can guarantee you, uh, the ladies and gentlemen of America, this is where it starts, and it's about coming together, and this is a fight for justice. And uh, you've heard tonight from a couple of ladies that are advocates for justice. And I call them advocate heroes in search for justice, not only for a limited group of people, but people across the United States and around this world. And, uh, folks, thanks for joining us uh, and for, for sharing your story. man. We're going to be in touch with you regularly. Uh, we'll be getting out there on Twitter and Facebook and, and things. And please, let's keep the connection going because you, you've earned a couple of family members today. <laughs> through AJS Calls and AJC Radio, and we want to do whatever we can do to help. Uh, we're willing to do that. We'd love to have you back on the program uh, as as a update show uh, progressively. Uh, once this is extended, we'd like to bring you back on so we can celebrate with you and be a part of this great, great movement uh, that you folks are doing. I'm, I'm just, we have to stay in touch. Offline, I will give you all of my contact information, and we'll go from there, Okay. Thank you so much again for having us, and we would love to stay in touch with you and your and your and your uh, listenership. Okay, good deal. You guys take care. Try to stay cool that out there. It's pretty hot out there today. Very. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just rained, so I think it might have cooled off a little bit. Well, usually on the East Coast, if it rains, you get a little extra humidity and yeah, stickiness. Yeah, getting sticky on you. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think Karen's <laughs> a little overly optimistic about that. I, 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 I think it just increased the steam. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, hey, that makes sense. Folks, take care. Be safe, uh, Paula and Karen, and I salute you for what you're doing, and uh, thanks for being a part of AJC Radio tonight. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, both. Back at you. Okay, you guys take care. Okay. Well, folks, okay, take care. Well, folks, there you have it. Uh, two women making a difference in a huge world of issues, and this is the importance. This show tonight civil rights. Why do we need them? Why do they have to be protected? It is what we call critical. And we appreciate those ladies coming on and being a part of this program. We'll be right back. Well, ladies and gentlemen of America, there you have it. Civil Rights in Search for Justice, 
Paula, we thank you for joining us tonight. We will visit this again. Sam, Lisa, Cliff, two young ladies called in regards to the civil rights situation right here in El Paso County, Colorado Springs. We're going to bring them on Thursday night to finish the discussion, but now we go to the perpetrators of justice. Lisa, who are they? Yes, we have U.S. Attorney John Walsh. We have prosecuting uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, prosecuting Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, uh, we have judges in the Tenth Circuit Court. We have Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former FBI Agent John Epke, Former FBI Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, and President of ETI Professional Services, Susan Holland. Okay, Lisa, thanks for that. Cliff, you want to give us a close-out session. Go ahead with it. Yeah, we want to say thank you to our guests tonight, uh, Ms. Paula Johnson. Andrew Lawfer and Karen Bryson, we appreciate you guys taking a little time out of your evening to spend with us. Also, we want to say thank you to everybody in the chat room that uh, you know you guys are blowing it up in there tonight. Thank you for the callers that called in. Like Mom said, we'll get the other callers uh, here on Thursday night. We want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of KMD Productions, helping out the honeycomb hideout kids back there in the control room, doing a great bang up job down back there tonight. Also. I want to say thank you to our production support team. They give us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you. To the truth, we heard from you tonight, inspiring words, and we thank you for always being there for us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. In Search for Justice, we're just getting started on AJC Radio. Join us Thursday night for Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we reach out to members of Congress to ensure that those rights are, are, are met and that uh, those, those, we get those rights and we retain those rights. Join us on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss that. And also go to AJCRadio.com. Uh, we'll have this show posted there. Reach out to uh, uh, Paula and Karen. We'll have their information posted out there as well. And ladies and gentlemen, as you tuck in tonight and you think you're comfortable, I want you to do one thing. Think about the IRP6. Those who have suffered at the hand of injustice and the violation of civil rights. This is something that's critically important. And these six men, Sam, are patriots of the United States. And uh, we need to remember them. Sam. David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper, and Gary Walker. And folks can go out to freetheirp6.org. Again, freetheirp6.org to see their complete story. And folks, again, we're just getting started. Go out on Twitter, blow it up. Let it, let the let the country know that we have six patriots and we have left them in harm's way as we go on about our daily living, wanting to turn the other way. And we say to prosec- uh, District Attorney, elected District Attorney, and May, you need to relook. And take a visit back at what the law is. I don't know what's going on down in El Paso County's district attorney's office with Miss Donna Bellick, uh, someone who is a violator of justice, and they continue to perpetrate a fraud of justice. Let us uh, look into that. 
And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, sleep tight tonight and join us back here Thursday night. Sam, thanks for joining us tonight, being with us, all the AJC crew here. Sam Thurman, Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, the AJC team, stand by. We are in search for justice, bringing the message of justice all around the world. Four days into his sudden presidency, and the night before he would address a joint session of the Congress in which he once served. Lyndon Johnson sat around a table with his closest advisors, preparing his remarks to a shattered and grieving nation. He wanted to call on senators and representatives to pass a civil rights bill, the most sweeping since Reconstruction. Most of his staff counseled him against it. They said it was hopeless. That it would anger powerful Southern Democrats and committee chairmen. That it risked derailing the rest of his domestic agenda. One particularly bold aide said he did not believe a president should spend his time and power on lost causes however worthy they might be. To which, it is said, President Johnson replied, well, what the hell's the presidency for? What the hell's the presidency for? Not to fight for causes you believe in. Today, as we commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act, we honor the men and women who made it possible. Some of them are here today. We celebrate giants like John Lewis and Andrew Young and Julian Bond. We recall the countless unheralded Americans, black and white, students and scholars, preachers, and housekeepers, whose names are etched not on monuments, but in the hearts of their loved ones, and in the fabric of the country that they helped to change. We also gather here, deep in the heart of the state that shaped them, to recall one giant man's remarkable efforts to make real the promise of our family. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident 
that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I say to you today, my friend, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thanks God